0: Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage, Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the United Federation of Commander Benjamin Sisko the Federation Starfleet. Deep Space
1: Nine. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are still just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica.
0: I'm Ben Harrison. I've thought a lot about the, uh, like, the tagline of our show, that we're a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I don't think we realize, like, how fundamental to the ethic of our show it would wind up being over time Yeah. when we started the show. Yeah. It's a big part of the thing, you know? It really resonates with people. It it pisses a lot of people off, <laughs> you know? The, the people who aren't embarrassed? Right, and and think that our being embarrassed is somehow a referendum on them not being embarrassed boy what's it like
1: to not be embarrassed by your interests <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> i would subscribe to that newsletter
0: yeah i don't know like i think it's cool to be like self-affirmative and and proud of your own shit it's just not oh, how yeah. i'm wired <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. Yeah, this isn't an indictment on on the many good people who are proud nerds of this and and any other interest. But yeah, I mean, I think that's always going to be my relationship to this material. Like, I love it. I love it deeply, but uh, I'm not putting it out on the street.
0: Yeah, there's also the kind of person that's like super embattled about their nerdery in a way that I like can't really get with. You know, like uh, like if you say something, if you say you don't like something that they like, th- then they're pissed off at that.
1: God, I just could not care any less about someone not liking something that I like, or right. someone like, liking something More for that me. I don't like. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I, I guess I said something that uh, about superhero movies on here at some point that somebody yelled at me about on Twitter. I don't remember what it was. And they didn't give me any context when they yelled at me about it. But just like, I like I don't know. It's the fucking biggest cultural force in the universe right now. Like, I don't think anything I say is going to do anything to stop it. Like, take the W, man. Also, like, who cares what we say?
1: <laughs> You're the one caring about it. Yeah. I'm an
0: idiot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I admit it in the subtitle of my own podcast (laughs) yeah but uh speaking of times we've been embarrassed i have a bad bit moment that i thought i would share with you adam all i do is bits 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 no matter what what. you're always doing bits 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 no matter what, what you're always doing bits 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 i was doing bits bad bit moment bad bit moment
1: Lay it on me.
0: So, usually these are uh, times we did a bit out in the world in a context where it wasn't really ti- a time or place where bits are being done and they didn't land well mm-hmm. or whatever. But uh, you were actually there for this one. Oh. And uh, I wrote it down because it was so it was so painful <laughs> to watch this bit just burn up on the launch pad. That fucking (laughs) school teacher in the cockpit and nothing we could do to save her. (laughs) I'm a little unclear on the timeline of when this episode comes out, but I think we'll still be in the midst of our Friendly Fire tour of duty, our little Uh mini, mini tour of Friendly Fire that we're doing this spring. And um, the the tour, like, came together super last minute. Like, we announced it way later than we would normally announce. It was, like, literally, like, a call where we got on the phone with our booking agent. And what I had understood in talking to you and John was that we were going to cancel the tour in this phone call. And what we wound up doing was booking the tour and, like, going, (laughs) like, okay, I guess we have to announce it, like, tomorrow. Oh, fuck.
1: The way you want (laughs) to do something that can cost you a lot of money. Right. Yeah,
0: so uh, so it was um, you know it, it it has been a bit of a hectic spring for us as a result, and um, I wrote this down during the call because there, there was a lot surprising me during the call, but this maybe surprised me the most that I uh, I did a little bit and uh, it did not work. The bit was we were like kind of we were all kind of like taking each other's temperatures: are we doing this tour or not? And I said, "Sure." I want to get on the road again. The life I love is making podcasts with my friends, and I just want to get out on the road again. (laughs) (laughs) And you laugh now, but there were like it was like Rob Schulte edited in a fucking crickets drop on that fucking (laughs) call because John, our booking agent Josh, and you just gave me a clean five seconds of silence. Like we wouldn't have even had to like cut clips to edit in the. The cricket sound effects because there was silence there <laughs> and it is like uh willie nelson no nothing and that's
1: that's a, a musical reference that that should hit all of us
0: i thought that like i am the least likely to get that reference of of the four people that were on that call by far like
1: that was the most shocking element of it it's like <laughs> like i i thought that there's no way that could have been Ben. that had to be our booking
0: agent right and then I was in this weird position where I was like, "Did nobody get that? <laughs> like, did they not know? Do I? Am I the only person that knows that song?"
1: Sometimes in a conference type call, uh, you know, your audio will drop, and, <laughs> and yeah, and you and you may be moved to ask if if everyone's still there. Did but I? That uh... is not a question you want to ask after doing a bit. No, because that that just seems like uh, super needy. That's a bit needy.
0: Yeah. So the confusion I had in that moment was like, A, did nobody know the song and therefore not get it? Or B, was it just so profoundly unfunny? <laughs> like, you would think that my close friends and, and colleagues would give me at least a courtesy laugh on that one.
1: You're not wrong. Uh, I will tell you that, I mean, I remember the moment now that you've reminded me of it. I want to believe that it was we had spreadsheets open and calendars open, and I feel like my attention was divided mm. between the call and like the logistics of what we were talking about. yeah, and by the time, like retroactively, my mind heard what you said several seconds later, like the time <laughs> the time for natural laughter was over. And the one sound that I hate more than any in the world is performative laughter, right. And I wasn't going to do that to you or for you and maybe and maybe that's that was the conflict in my mind at that point
0: is it possible that everybody had that problem though everybody was looking at a spreadsheet when i said that i mean i can
1: tell you one thing that i would bet all of my possessions on and my own life on is that john did not have a spreadsheet open at that moment (laughs) john was uh in a car or a bathtub or uh or pooping or uh, yeah, any number of things. But yeah, the, he did not have a screen, that's for sure.
0: I have a question. Because I really like going on tour, and I feel like we always have a lot of fun going on tour. Uh-huh. But I remember at some point, either during that call or right before it or something, you said something like, oh, you know, Ben always like is the one that's really like wanting to go on tour. Is that true? Do you like not like going on tour that much? That's a good question. I... I think I'm one of those people that
1: feel better about it once it's over than in the run-up and during. Wow. Like, and that's not to say that it's never not a great time or something. I just, uh, like, the logistics of those things I are, like, a self-imposed stress. Like, you make fun of me a lot for how organized I am about things, but it's just, like, the only way that my mind can function is to, like, spreadsheet shit out and... Like, that's the way I understand how things work. Yeah. And, like, my need to do things like that to every little thing is <laughs> even more pronounced when it comes to, like, four people and hotel and flight information and who to contact at venues. Like, it's just a an order of magnitude problem.
0: If If we got to a point in our career where we had, like, a tour manager who just told us, you know, like, tomorrow you have to be in the lobby at this time and we didn't have to have our fingers on any of that stuff. Would that make it more fun for you?
1: You know what this is related to? It's like, I think John and I were having this conversation a couple of days ago. Like we have done our best to construct a professional life that on the surface should be stress-free, but in reality is incredibly stressful because of the self-imposed schedule concerns that we have on any given day or at any given week yeah and it's <laughs> it's like what having a podcast producer does to alleviate that stress for some shows like the the analog to that is the tour manager possibility that would alleviate a lot of that stress like we've said before like the most the most stressful moments in my life are the hour before doors where we're still tacking a show yeah, and so I guess that's like a long-winded way to say that if you were able to remove everything besides the performance from the tour, yeah, that was stressful to me. I would a hundred times out of a hundred choose to go out on tour, but like it's all the other, it's all yeah. of the eels attached to things that like there are so many of those other concerns in opposition to the one fun thing that happens on tour that. That like the math is bad.
0: Yeah, to me, me, like, me, the like the time in between walking out on stage and like shaking the last hand and taking the last picture in line in the in the line at the mm-hmm. merch table afterwards is like as much fun as I have most years. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> like it's so fucking great. No question. Great. Yeah, and it feels worth it to me to do all the like logistical stuff, but it is a fucking mountain of logistical stuff and i will
1: say that like it's never it's never so much that i feel like we shouldn't do it you shouldn't feel like i'm being dragged out there to do that stuff if i didn't want to do it i wouldn't do it okay i'm stubborn enough to not participate in a thing that i don't want to do
0: yeah i would not expect you to agree to something that you weren't into 100 percent for sure yeah Yeah, I mean, that is to
1: say that on future tours, I I hope we don't agree to a thing that we then do several weeks later. (laughs) I like a little more pre production time. Yeah, I think that this,
0: this Friendly Fire tour has been of particular stress just because the amount of time we had to put it together was a quarter as much as we usually get.
1: Yeah, like getting ticket counts for shows six months in advance are, is a pretty chill message to receive instead of the one for six days from now where you're like, giddy up. <laughs> like, <laughs> this this could be the situation, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, all that being said, it is really fun to tour. And I, when we tested our, our ability to tour back in the day with our uh, Two Captains One Nexus tour, we had no right to think that we would have a the capability of putting on a fun show, you know. <laughs> Neither of us were performers prior to that. I'm really glad that we uh that we went out on that
1: first tour and did it all ourselves, like we really were introduced to what you have to do to do a show. Yeah. And that first four show run and yeah. it made me appreciate all of the benefits that a that a booking agent uh grant and how much easier it is to tour when when you don't have to <laughs> like there's a lot of shit behind the scenes that goes along with touring that uh that can be both easy and hard depending on yeah. on your relationships to certain people so right we're in a better place now for sure
0: yeah we sure are we're we're very lucky to have uh have met the people we've met and uh and uh i think we're lucky to have found a way to to put on a show that is fun for people to come see cuz I I really like doing it.
1: I think the main, main, main best thing about what we do is, like, we have the control of what we're doing, and that is, uh, related to the episode we're gonna watch today, Ben.
0: Wow. That is a fucking professional-level pivot.
1: <laughs> right? Shit. We control the means of production, Ben, for Uxbridge Shimoda LLC. <laughs> Uh, let's see how it works at Quark's Bar as we discuss Deep Space Nine, Season 4, Episode 15. Bar Association.
0: Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Lavar Burton episode. Bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Yeah. So this episode starts with the little D coming home with a broom on the mast. They've been out in the... Gamma quadrant, they've made a clean sweep. No Jem'Hadar.
1: Worf briefly rode the conning tower <laughs> in their escape from the G quad.
0: Yeah, there's a little a little interaction between him and Dex that kind of like uh, it's like all super pro, and then a little a little dab of flirtation peppered in. Mister Worf, you're
1: in love. Yeah, with the defiant. There's like a fun double talk happening between Dax and Worf, but for someone eavesdropping, uh, what they're hearing is uh, is Worf is like a guy with a car that needs tinkering all the time. Worf, Worf has fallen for his ship.
0: Yeah, and I like that Dax is like has like a, an extra dimension of this conversation that she understands that he clearly doesn't. Yeah, you know, like like she understands that they're flirting and he is flirting, but he does not understand that they're flirting. <laughs>
1: They clearly have chemistry together, but I still don't know why she likes him. Worf has had a bad season, I think, in season four as a character. Yeah. Like, he's not been particularly good professionally. He's definitely not good uh, personally with his family affairs.
0: He just killed his brother.
1: Yeah. And so <laughs> like, besides their interest in, in Mechleth versus uh, Batleth training... I'm at a loss for really what it is that uh, that attracts them as people. Sometimes
0: that's uh, something that you can't quite put your finger on, man. Love. Uh, finds a way. It's uh, pretty hard for me to imagine what my wife likes about me. Yeah. But I don't want to question it too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. You don't want to crush that rabbit.
0: Worf just wants to have sex with the Defiant.
1: Put it right in the warp core. <laughs> I feel like we're going to get, over the course of the series, a lot of establishing shots in quarks of O'Brien and Bashir wearing X kind of weird garb on their way to the holosuites. And it's kind of a weird reverse walk of shame, right? You've got to go through quarks to go to the holosuites. Yeah. And they seem to be the only ones that ever like do that kind of walk.
0: Yeah, in their, in their Game of Thrones cosplay. <laughs>
1: You know there's a version of this walk where a bedraggled Dr. Bashir emerges from a hollow suite, like, with his hair messed up and he's super yeah. sweaty and gross. <laughs> like, you never see that version.
0: Nobody's ever, like, in their in their quarters putting on their, their gimp outfit and they go, like, computer, site-to-site <laughs> transfer to Hollow yeah. Suite 2.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be preferred, wouldn't it? Right?
0: Yeah. They're going to have the uh, the holographic dominatrix flog them for a, an hour. They don't want everybody to see what they're into.
1: You only see them going in and not coming out.
0: Yeah. I feel like over this series, we are also going to find the directors and uh, Showrunners of this program find ways for Lita to bend over and pick something up off the floor in an establishing shot.
1: Look, I'm going to believe that this is not Lavar Burton direction here. I think this is just a a, a sensibility that the show has. W slash R slash T Lita. Right. No one really catches either O'Brien or Bashir in their weird warrior garb or Lita's bend over in Quarks because Quarks is kind of deserted.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, it's like Bajoran Lent, basically, right? Yeah, They're, they've, yeah. Uh, or, or Bajoran Ramadan. They're, they've all uh, sworn off the pleasures of the flesh, and that includes hollow sweets and gambling and drinking. And uh, and yeah, like there's the Dabo girl with the prodigious underboob has nobody to spin the wheel for.
1: It's a real shame, too.
0: And despite this, uh, Rom is being forced to to work uh, through an earache. Oh. And uh, given the size of those ears, you can imagine what an earache is like. It
1: hurts. It introduces the question of whether or not Quark is more of an uncaring boss or an uncaring brother. Yeah. Because he displays absolutely no mercy.
0: I really like the little chemistry experiment that happens here. This is something that happens fairly seldom, but often enough that I think it's a bit of a Star Trek trope. The, like, chemistry experiment at the bar, where like, one solution is introduced to another, and it, like, foams up or changes color in a cool way. And, uh, and then Rom dumps this concoction into his ear. You're kind of like, the misdirection is that he's mixing a cocktail for Morn, but in fact he's uh, making something Uh, corrosive to pour into his ear to deal with whatever is ailing him
1: i gotta say like because it's rom i expected this liquid to come out of his other ear (laughs) after going in the first
0: boy that would have been (laughs) amazing
1: wouldn't that have been a fun side gag
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) You're just like, like, wait, so what is going on with the Ferengi's ears? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, it would tell you so
1: much about their physiology. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Lita comes over uh, expressing concern for what Ram is going through and... uh, Cork kind of jumps down her throat. I pay you to spin the dabble wheel, so get spinning. And we actually cut to Rom's POV, a rare POV shot for Star Trek, and it's it's like blurring in and out. It's just a
1: vignette of Lita's boobs. <laughs>
0: Last episode, we talked about how how I got like incredibly sick on your birthday getaway uh-huh. in Mexico. Uh huh. This was as sick as I've ever felt. You were boob vignette sick. Well, there were two hours where I was in bed in in my room, and I was panting because breathing through my nose was slightly more uncomfortable than breathing through my mouth wow. and in the wake of that like I was sick all day i was in I was very uncomfortable all day, but there was a point at the middle of the day where I was like i i was like uh, I've been sick in bed for like eight hours. maybe I should jack off." <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know what always helps Papa feel better
0: (laughs) Like maybe it'll make me sleepy And I'll be able to sleep through some of this (laughs)
1: <laughs> like would that have been the worst walk-in that your that your wife could ever do concerned wife or her sick husband? Yeah. oh
0: my God <laughs> what are you you fucking piece of shit you're not sick so was this all
1: about trying to <laughs> to find some time to do that? <laughs> all of your friends are upstairs <laughs> you've never been too sick to jack it Ben never that's how we knew it was serious yeah. Bashir can change Kern's appearance, Kern's memory, and his genetic code. But when it comes to Rom's ear infection, it is a big, big challenge. And Bashir kind of, uh, kind of gets into it with Rom a little bit on on why he might have let this go on for so long, because uh, ear maladies for Ferengis can get pretty serious.
0: This is a three-week-old ear infection. And, uh, you know, if you've got like a staph infection in your ear, that could be lethal.
1: That's a lot of of spilled product going into the ear canal (laughs) over that amount of time, right? Yeah. Quark is going to notice that's not just alcohol evaporation.
0: That's uh, more than the normal shrink that uh, would be anticipated by a uh, a bar.
1: Rahm mentions. As a as an excuse that you know there are no sick days or vacations or paid overtime at at Quarks, like he had to work through his illness.
0: Yeah, he didn't have free time to come into the into the infirmary. And Bashir kind of tosses off fairly casually, like, "Oh, you should form a union."
1: Yeah, Bashir also like tending to a novelty thermos collection as he dispenses this advice. <laughs> I know.
0: Yeah, I, it almost looked like the the like sports drink. Section of a seven eleven over there,
1: yeah, what was that about?
0: I don't know. That is like such different prop design than we normally see on this show, yeah, but rom is uh is back together and speaking of jacking it, he's uh, back in Corks Bar, and Lita's like, What happened to your ear and he's like, oh i've been uh I've been umoxing myself too much.
1: Is it the first time there's ever been a reference to masturbation on Star Trek?
0: I actually looked this up, Adam, because uh, it caught my attention. It's the first reference to masturbation in the history of television.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The thing is, like, you've got to pee after Umox or else you're going to get an ear infection. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's how it works for yeah. for Ferengi.
0: And it's uh, your partner might just uh, might just slip off and go to sleep, but you got to get up and pee. And that's, it seems unfair, you know? Yeah.
1: (laughs) So so
0: there's an all hands meeting
1: at Quark's and uh, Quark announces that he is cutting everyone's salary by a third uh, because cutting salary is better than, than doing a layoff.
0: Well, they've got this great deal in capitalism where the workers suffer when the company is not doing that well. But there's no upside for them when the company is doing great.
1: Yeah, there is no profit sharing situation yeah. at uh, at Quark Co.
0: They don't issue issue you stock certificates as you as you vest in the company.
1: There was a time uh, in one of my many retail jobs where the company I worked for did do profit sharing. Wow! And if you were an hourly employee, and the company had a particularly good year, when it came time for the you know the yearly financials. Yeah, uh, the profits. Some of the profits were shared among employees, but that was a long, long time ago, and it and the idea of that almost seems quaint right now, <laughs> <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, it does.
1: This same company I worked for was like many of of the companies where it like there was a strange relationship with union and non union employees, wherein non union employees looked askance. At union employees and the company itself like was very 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 discouraging yeah. of the union employees and the idea of forming unions to the degree that the understanding of such a concept was was actively suppressed and ridiculed
0: there's anti-union propaganda that like pervades just the way they are talked about like the yeah. like the the image of the union employee is like lazy and entitled and like taking taking breaks all the time and stuff is, like, right. it is a poison in our culture that I totally have, like, drank that Kool-Aid at, at times in my life, like, like working on film sets, and you're like, oh, the fucking Teamsters are, like, taking their break yeah. right now or whatever. And it's like, yeah, because human beings don't need to work 24 hours a day. <laughs> like, right. And it, I think you don't really realize, like, who's interested is in that you incorporate ideas like that in your assessment of people who have chosen to become members of a union, Right, they're like relying on you not to ask that question of yourself. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. My, my very first union interaction came when I was 15 years old and I was working like my very first job was at a grocery store and I worked at a union building and I worked maybe 16 hours a week for minimum wage. And I was I had to pay like $60 a month in union dues and that was a big portion. Yeah. But like that's a big percentage of a kid's take-home pay. Totally. At that point and it and it really like I was an unsophisticated idiot and I still am, but like that was a <laughs> that was a that was a bad introduction to lemonade
0: that. was a popular drink and it still is. <laughs>
1: Like that's a, that's a bad introduction to the concept, and it took me a while to come around to the idea of all the all the benefits of such a thing, yeah, uh, historical and otherwise.
0: But anyways, uh, Quark announces all of these uh, all these wage uh, decreases to everybody, and Ram is the one that comes and sticks up for everybody. He kind of zups Quark as the meeting breaks up, and is like, "Hey, like these people are already like living paycheck to paycheck. You can't do this to them." Yeah, And you can't do it unilaterally and without warning. And Quark uh, and is like, I'm the boss. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like, if you don't want the job, you don't, you don't have to keep it.
1: Yeah, and Rom, like, levels a, a thinly-veiled threat in that
0: moment. If you don't rescind the pay cuts, you're going to regret it. Mechleth
1: training has continued a pace between Worf and Dax,
0: it's not a to be continued, but it really just like picks up a, a story thread from the previous episode and that and that's like um, I think something this show is starting to do more and more like we're just we're just living in a in a world where a storyline that didn't quite wrap up in the previous episode can uh can find life in the next episode
1: evidently, a warrior does not use the locker room shower in the hollow suites <laughs> because they are uh they're headed back home and they hear they hear a rumble from the air duct and uh, a an dapterian falls out of the ceiling tiles onto the floor near Worf's quarters. Do not move! Yeah. And he's carrying a bunch of Worf's shit.
0: <laughs> Why would you steal a tooth sharpener?
1: Why would you break into the only Klingon on the station's quarters? Find a different target, yeah. I think.
0: Yeah, find a target of a guy who's not likely to be coming home with a sword in his hand.
1: Yeah, the worst.
0: So Worf brings this uh, this crook to Odo's office and, uh, you know, has him booked and kind of lights into Odo, kind of uh, gets up on, on the old high horse and starts to make the case that Odo is terrible at security. What I want to know is how such a security breach was allowed to occur in the first place. This is a uh, a conflict that they've already kind of had. Like the First Minister, Shakar, is visiting the station episode, had a lot of this stuff in it. And uh, Odo happens to have an iPad at the ready, like for quick draw with uh, a bunch of like episode recaps as written by the Netflix corporation of (laughs) times Worf fucked security up
1: this is great
0: on the Enterprise (laughs) yeah like I think that you could have found better instances of Worf doing bad at security because these ones like the like Ferengi's using two warships to take over the Enterprise and a a guy tricking them into thinking he was a time traveler and stealing shit those are not Worf's fault exactly
1: yeah and this is two episodes in a row where the Worf-Odo conflict is alive and well. <laughs> <laughs> and I like it. I'm I here do. for it. I do like it. Uh, in a secret meeting of employees of Quark Co, Rom has made the case for unionization. He's, he's distributed cards, and he would like them completed and filled
0: out. Yeah. The meeting is pretty intense because all the Ferengis have a have a, a bit of a stutter when they use the U word. We're going to form a a a what a union. You get two fun
1: random Ferengis here in this scene. It makes me want like the Ferengi book of baby names because <laughs> Frule and Grimp are like. <laughs> They they feel like names that a computer has come up with, like combining <laughs> combining letters into into a somewhat pronounceable name. I yeah. love it.
0: I wished we got like one of the other non-Leda aliens' yeah. perspectives cuz there's like three or four Dabo girls and maybe like a cocktail waitress among the assembled group of what will come to be known as the Restaurant and casino employees guild, and they just don't have speaking roles. There's there's two Ferengis that speak up and and Lita, and then the you know the yellow underboob lady and everybody else uh, are just extras and. Uh, I I would have liked to know like is there unified support for this idea among the non Ferengis and it just it's the Ferengis that need to be brought around or or what
1: Yeah, and that's a good question because so much of the passion weight falls to Lita, and I think that is mixed results because <laughs> Lita is the one basically lighting the burn barrel immediately and yeah. like you're. Your eye, for a lot of reasons, catches her in the background because she's Lita, but also she's the most expressive and excitable during these moments.
0: I do like that she's sort of the few clothes of this situation. I go ton for ton, and Colvin, any man here. Given yeah. what her wardrobe usually looks like, <laughs> anybody that gets the Maitwan reference in the audience is going to be really delighted by that one.
1: <laughs> I sure didn't. I'm sorry.
0: That's a James Earl Jones part in a in a movie about like unionizing coal mines in West Virginia.
1: <laughs> wow. All right. I've got some homework. So Fruel and Grimp are resistant to the idea, but Rom is super persuasive. This is like what Rom does when he is supremely motivated about a topic. He is very articulate and persuasive with people around him.
0: You think about like the qualities of leadership and Ram is not an emblematic example of any of the things you think of. Mm-hmm. And yet I feel like this is one of many examples of him kind of writing for what's right and like getting people on his side about it. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the other day, like, why Why is Rom not an impression we do on this show? Yeah. And I think it would seem cruel in a way that I don't think that any of the impressions we do are intended to be. But there's this other aspect of his character which is that he's like a righteous dude
1: they all adore him yeah I mean he is inspiring he, he truly is
0: and he wins everybody over like the thing that everybody Ferengi in this room is scared of is the FCA the law enforcement body of Ferengi culture and they're like the fact that you've said this basically mean, means we're all fucked forever for the rest of our lives we will have the FCA hounding us and he's like good like let's fucking let's let's fucking strike a blow that that will reverberate even for them Al-I-M-A-R-E, come to forth alabaray come to forth in turn come for you doing? not man what are you doing now
1: What you need to do is keep this relationship alive. Like the the, the line of communication must be preserved between Rom and Bashir because for as passionate as Rom is about constructing this union, he knows nothing about unions. <laughs> and so as a subject matter expert, Bashir uh, needs to be involved. And so uh, Rom pays him a visit mid-sist pop because O'Brien is there.
0: He walks into r slash popping. <laughs> I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. Except I've got a disgusting cyst on the back of my neck.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's what all of the thermoses are for. <laughs> what Bashir does is like light a match inside one of the thermoses and then put the opening around the cyst.
0: Fucking spectacular!
1: It's gross and it's funny. It's one of the uh, it's one of the lighter moments in the episode here.
0: I thought it was funny. I like the thing that hit me in this moment was why why aren't there like weird. Like, oh, you got like a rash from a Cardassian vole and it's like something really weird looking or, or like I want like a weird space disease, you know, like it since it's a cyst, it's something that is only talked about and not shown.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's do some weird loaf on the back of Chief O'Brien's neck, you know, like let's put something, let's put something real, real out there. Give us a space cyst. Yeah, I want a space right? cyst
1: sounds threatening anything sounds worse when you put space in front of it right
0: right so he's uh so ram is there asking like what do i do and uh and o'brien is like oh yeah like i come from a long line of uh blue collar people and uh one of my ancestors in like the 1900s was a union guy who, who shut down the coal mines or whatever and that's like that's how they extracted a, a better contract from the management. And that is like the first time Rom has encountered the idea of like a work stoppage as, as what a collective bargaining organization might use as leverage to get better pay.
1: O'Brien turns to Bashir and he's like, you know what? We should actually do that as a Holosuite program. Let's, <laughs> let's do the, the union program. And Bashir's like, cool. That, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. so what do i wear to that o'brien comes from a long line of martyred union guys and uh this again very inspiring
0: (laughs) my ancestor died heroically as a union man he got shot a whole bunch of times (laughs) you remember when lieutenant dan uh
1: talks about his uh like, the generation after generation of Dans who have died in battle, and, like, they they do the montage of, like, them all falling dead on the battlefield. It would have been great to see, like... Uh, Colomini made up in different <laughs> makeup, like 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 falling into a burn barrel, falling into the gears, being <laughs> shot and thrown off a bridge. Show, like, sh-
0: throwing his Sabot.
1: yeah, <laughs> stabbed with his own picket sign.
0: <laughs> Fun. They could have reused done. the set from San Francisco.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: Uh, my dad was involved in a labor action in San Francisco of restaurant workers in, like, the 70s, I think. And uh, Yeah? He was
1: a fucking scab, wasn't he?
0: No, somebody he wasn't. Somebody from the restaurant poured sugar in the gas tank of his uh, VW bus.
1: God, has there ever been a more San Francisco story than than what you just told? No. <laughs> Pretty far out, man.
0: Yeah, I come from a long line of... People who were an almost self-parodic image of the time and place (laughs) that they found themselves in. (laughs) For example, in the mid to late 2000s when I was a hip-hop music video director living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, who had a cocktail business on the side.
1: (sighs) God. If someone were to give me a character sketch for a television program, I would say it was too on the nose.
0: A little too on the nose.
1: Yeah, it feels like it's been forever since we've been to Ops, Ben. Like, like has it been five episodes since we've been here? Yeah. Anyway, we returned to Ops because uh, they had O'Brien... to rebuild the set. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they only rebuilt the part that O'Brien needs to inspect because he's he's crawling around under Wharf Station. And uh, this is a moment for O'Brien and Worf to have a moment where they reminisce on the good times on the Enterprise D, on the big D. uh, Times which, in retrospect, uh, weren't great for both because uh, in a Chief O'Brien at work kind of way, uh, (laughs) Chief O'Brien does not miss those days. He actually likes all the action that he gets at the station. Have you any idea how bored I used to get sitting in the transporter room waiting for something to break down? And that feeling stands in opposition to Worf, whose nostalgia for the D takes the form of predictability. Like, he he knew what to expect over there. He knew where everything was. He knew who everyone was. He knew his quarters weren't going to get broken into.
0: Well, and I think that it's interesting because Deep Space Nine kind of provides O'Brien with a thing that Worf had on the D, which is, like, there's always something to do. And O'Brien is describing a life where, like, he basically never had anything to do on the D.
1: I think there's a strange relationship between O'Brien and his appreciation for being needed. You know, as a thing that works both in work and in family, that Worf clearly does not require in his life from either. He resents being needed by both his family and his workplace. Yeah, and uh, it makes them very different.
0: It's two people trying very hard to connect and being so different that they kind of can't. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting scene in a fairly uninteresting B storyline, I want to say. They should
1: be best friends, shouldn't they? Because if what Worf misses more than anything is the big D, there's O'Brien. Like, there's there's a person that embodies that time for him.
0: Yeah. There it sits. And
1: he rejects it.
0: Nostalgia is a very toxic impulse. As Man. our uh, as our buddy John Hodgman is uh, is right to say, yeah. So Quark comes back to the bar and finds a tableau of all of his employees assembled there to tell him that uh, they would like to renegotiate their contract, and uh, and Quark basically thinks they're doing bits.
1: Yeah, this is a bad bit moment for Quark.
0: Yeah, Page sickly. <laughs> The like like you know, he starts like reading through the list and laughing and laughing and and then gives just like the greatest face of all time when uh Rom announces that they, they are going on strike. <laughs> like like the Quark react to that is perfect. Lita does a yeah
1: over Rom's shoulder that is reflected and amplified by Quark's incredulity here it's like 11 out of 10
0: is your read on it that court in that react is still like you guys are fucking idiots like oh yeah. fuck you you're going on strike how hilarious or is it Definitely. like yeah
1: it's because if it's not that it's a bad take
0: no it's such a sophisticated acting choice you yeah know? agreed but it, but it also gives us like one of the funniest faces we've ever gotten on the show
1: <laughs> yeah it truly is it's it's tilly card worthy, for sure uh this is a strike and a picket line that pays customers not to enter the bar. Is that what they're doing? Kind of a new spin on uh, <laughs> on striking
0: laborers. Are they giving out latinum?
1: Yeah, to not go in the bar. Wow. Yeah, and I don't know if it's frule or grimp, but they're like, "Boy, I sure hope we have enough slips to wait out the strike."
0: That's such a funny detail. I didn't I didn't realize that's what they were doing. I I I thought they were like handing out like pamphlets or something, but like Thinking about it in that way, like the the naivete of we'll pay people not to go in is such a, a True thing that Rom would 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 actually come up with.
1: Yeah, it feels it feels like a very natural idea for him to have <laughs> They really should have stationed some of the picket line near that side door because later on when O'Brien and Bashir are like betting on who's gonna go in uh, and who's not like, yeah. they need they need some slips of Latinum up there.
0: Yeah, so there's like a brief interaction. Like Odo comes in and and Quark has an army of hollow Quarks working mm-hmm. at, uh, in lieu of his employees, and he says like he says you should like arrest those people, beat up the the people that are fighting for their own rights out mm-hmm. there, and. Odo is like yeah like I probably would I'm more naturally on your side on this than I am on their side but I have strict orders from Captain Sisko not to impinge on your employees freedom of expression so we cut to upstairs and, and O'Brien and Bashir are like actually like taking bets on who who will scab and who won't I like this game a lot yeah packlets are scabs we see a packlet in there I thought it was interesting that we didn't get to find out whether Morn was a scab or not. Wow. Yeah. Cause like, he's always there.
1: I think it's cause the truth is you know he's there. But, that might be the most obvious answer.
0: But they don't want you to hate Morn.
1: Yeah. You gotta love Morn.
0: But Worf is also a scab, which is a shocker.
1: So much lately feels like happens off screen. Because once Worf enters, O'Brien's like, oh, no, we've got to educate Worf on what's happening here. And so Bashir and O'Brien follow him in.
0: We've got to human explain this to, to Worf.
1: Yeah, they, they have a pretty clear difference of opinion when it comes to uh, labor versus management. And then we basically cut to the break
0: <laughs> to
1: tell the story, which yeah. is a fun bit of comedy through edit,
0: yeah, I liked it, and I liked the uh, I liked that it was a a red, blue, gold yeah trio that looks in good. the in the brig yeah. Um, there are three guys who have like very different approaches to dignity, but mm-hmm. take their dignity seriously, and yeah. it is really fun to see that undercut in this scene.
1: Yeah, I feel like Bashir should be more fucked up for being <laughs> thrown over a table by Worf.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't think it's bad to have had a little more blood there.
0: I, I, I would love to see a neck brace. <laughs> to be quite honest about it, I was in a pail. I'm Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my Anyway, Cisco is like you. You guys are you guys are fucking idiots, and you're going to spend the night in jail. I'm not going to do anything to to help you right now, even though I could.
1: Cisco gets the opportunity to be the taciturn teacher figure of this scene. You know, he is loved by these three, but they also need to be punished.
0: But Cisco does take a meeting with Quark, who thinks that uh, you know Cisco is going to be naturally aligned to him, not doing the math on the whole like socialist utopia that cisco comes from (laughs) and there is a pretty astounding reveal about the arrangement that Cork has w slash r slash t rent in this scene which is that apparently he owes monthly rent on this bar but has not been paying it for years and he doesn't pay his electrical bill or anything
1: he's been earning a profit a, a huge profit over the years and yet pays no taxes
0: Cool. Fucking hate it when I find that out about a company.
1: Pretty shitty way to be a good citizen. This is a, a hell of a revelation, Ben. And uh, and this is something that Cisco uses as leverage against Quark.
0: You're a very generous people.
1: He's like, if you'd like, I can I can run your tab. Would you like that?
0: Because <laughs> if you don't, you should bargain. Would you like me to? Like Mo, send Barney's bar tab to NASA to get tabulated? (laughs) You owe me $70 billion.
1: Yeah, so that really hits Quark where it hurts. And so uh, Quark has to bargain with Rom. And at the 40-minute mark in the episode, we finally get a... Like, so much goes unsaid between Quark and Rom in this episode. And one of the things that is not said until this moment is the fact that they are brothers.
0: And he's basically saying, like, you're hurting me as a brother, and I need you to end this strike, and I will essentially bribe you to, to do that. Yeah. Which is classic union-busting tactic. Try and appeal to the avarice of the leader of the action. And uh does not work. To Rom's credit, he uh, he throws the latinum right back in Quark's face. What's happened to you?
1: The... Stress is heightened almost immediately because by not resolving the situation then and there, we cut right over to the appearance of Brunt inside the darkened bar at Quark's. And uh, he's there to end the dispute by any means necessary. And instead of like holding a billy club and like patting it against his palm, uh, there are some soft-focus Nausikens in the background <laughs> as, his, yeah. as his
0: heavies. Brunt has rolled through with hair metal pinkertons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, naturally Brunt and, and Quark are aligned here because yeah. Brunt and Quark both have an interest in quelling this uprising. But the uh there's like a meeting of the uh of the strikers that uh, that we cut to that you know they're they're starting to feel like they're on their way to to victory. Did Grimp look a little bit like uh, like like Nog to you? Yeah, like I wondered if they like used some of the Nog loaf or something like that because
1: oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, because it's I don't think the actors are related, but he just he he seemed a little bit like Nog. Yeah, I don't know why. When Brunt confronts
1: the assembled strikers there is not an even split of resistance and and not resistance fruel is basically on the ground in in fear and shame because what brunt is threatening is that uh should you keep striking your family funds on Ferenginar will be seized and and you will be like you will receive a House of Moog-style punishment on Ferenginar.
0: And Brunt looks down at, at Fruel on the ground, offering to suck his dick, and he says, <laughs> Fruel, you idiot, my dick is up here, and he points his, at his ears.
1: Yeah, the return of Brunt, uh, yeah. he's really throwing his weight around. He's a heavy.
0: And really twisting the them, like the... The idea of like retribution against their families is really scary. Yeah. And I I think maybe like one place that this episode fails a little bit is the idea that they decide that that's okay. Right. Like everybody decides that they're okay with their families being fucked over also. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that some would and some wouldn't. Ron makes the case that like, "Oh yeah, your your bank account back on Foreignar will be liquidated, but you wouldn't be working as a bartender." If you had a really impressive bank account. Yeah. But that's not the extent of Brunt's threat.
1: As the episode comes to a close, we, we cross-cut between this strike and what Worf is going to do about his living situation. Because in the aftermath of the of that bar brawl between Worf, Bashir, and O'Brien, Worf is just unsettled enough about his circumstances there to say, Fuck it, I'm moving to the Defiant. <laughs> Which seems like a really out-there kind of plan. But you'll be living out there all by yourself. Because, to our knowledge, no one lives on the Defiant. It just sits yeah. empty like an RV on a parking pad, you know? I know.
0: Yeah, I mean, every time you cut to the exterior of the station and the D and the little d isn't on a mission or something, there's like a big tarp over it yeah. because it's not totally watertight.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: it's kind of a depressing place to live, but... I guess yeah. that's where Worf wants to live. Yeah, he yeah. likes that Federation architecture. More, 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 dear sweet more, more, more. here, buddy. stop. Have a time.
1: A significant moment in this episode is Rom walking Lita home after after a hard day of striking, yeah. and uh, and she kisses him goodbye at the end of it, like a friend kiss, and Rom takes this as as something that means much, much more. Were he able to blush, he would be a rosy pink at this moment. Yeah. And uh, Quark kind of emerges from the corner of the hallway like cigarette-smoking man in the
0: X-Files. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, shadows to lurk in on yeah. the space station. Yeah. Like, and- you could never do a scene like this on, on the D.
1: And one of the things that this episode does really well is, is misdirect who you think is in trouble. Right. For striking, because what's happening right now in this scene is Quark is like, look, man, you need to be taking Brunt way more seriously than you are because I've seen the Noskins he's got. And I don't want you to get
0: hurt. Those guys will say, play dumb, Jot, Human," yeah, like nobody's business.
1: You're, you're not just in professional danger, you're in mortal danger.
0: But Rom is not who is in mortal danger. It turns out it's Quark. Right. Brunt kind of pitches this at him. He's like, we can't make a martyr of Rom. Yeah. So we're thinking about beating the shit out of Lita, but I'm too personally sprung off of Lita to do that. So the the only other person that is really close to Rom is is you. So sorry, bud. Like, I know we're on the, on the same side of this thing, but uh, we're going to have to beat the shit out of you.
1: And when we cut to the infirmary, Quark is fucked up. Bad. Quark
0: is fucked up the way Bashir maybe should have been.
1: Yeah. You know, that's a great point. They, they didn't have enough of the uh, of the bruise color to go
0: around. He's got the neck brace, the technological head bandage. Does it hurt? Of course it hurts. Too bad.
1: I didn't think Rom would have it in him to gloat. Like, I just didn't think that was in keeping with how gentle he is, typically as a person. But he has that capacity, and that's what he's there to do.
0: They come to an agreement here. Which is, like a lot of political progress, a little bit disappointing, Yeah, but a move in the right direction.
1: Disappointing because the, the the true deal is in private and not in public?
0: Yeah, and that the union is dissolved.
1: Do you think the disillusion of the union is also a, a lie for the public, but actually is still there in private?
0: It might be a lie for Quark if Quark believes that the union is dissolved, that that's what needs to happen for him to make the deal, right?
1: You know, the great thing about a union is that uh, you can dissolve a union and and reconfigure a union whenever you want to. So it's not like by saying we're going to dissolve it now, that does not limit the possibility of it happening again.
0: Right. So yeah, the uh, the agreement is basically like dissolve the union, and we'll and we'll do we'll do the demands in the in the new contract, and uh, and that will get brunt off of both of our backs. And that's pretty much the button
1: on the app. It's a it's a happy group of employees at Quarks.
0: And the twist is that Rom uh, takes this takes this labor action across the finish line and then quits, which is great. He uh, he, he got a new job.
1: He, yeah. he took the correspondence class. He's working nights. He is a customer and not an employee. And, Ben, that is a great, great feeling. It's very satisfying to enter yeah. a place where you used to work as a customer
0: instead. He looks great in his little uniform.
1: I agree. Uh, one other uh, final piece of the, of the episode is that uh, Worf does, in fact, move to quarters on the Defiant decks. Dax gives him a housewarming gift of Klingon operas and uh, and Worf strips his bed uh, <laughs> in order to sleep directly onto the metal sheet. So that's, that is that. Yeah. That's where he's living and he's fine with it. Did you like the episode, Adam? I like it when labor wins. Obviously, yeah, kind of a lot happens in this episode, and I'm really looking forward to Rom's relationship with Quark going forward. We're deep in the territory of Deep Space Nine episodes that I have never seen, so uh, what's coming <laughs> is going to be a complete surprise, and I'm here for it. What about you?
0: I really like it, too. It's it's such a funny episode because it really does feel like a bottle, yeah, and yet so much changes in a way that is going to, like, change the dynamics between everybody on the show
1: yeah we are in quarks bar all the time as a location on the show and it's going to feel very different with uh rom not there
0: the idea of a romance between lita and rom is uh is an established fact they didn't get distracted and forget about the idea of dax and wharf uh being on a romantic collision course yeah despite like the 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 shit he's going through like that's still totally on the table
1: on an empty defiant no one can hear me jerk it <laughs> uh ben why don't we see what we've got for priority one messages this week i'd love to do that
0: priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income. supplemental income. supplemental income. supplemental, income. supplemental income. yeah it's extra By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship
1: Ben, we have a personal Priority One message up top. It is from Whitney. It is to John, and it goes like this. To my number one, happy 10th anniversary. I'm so glad I found you and your DS9 DVD collection. <laughs> Whitney, I'm just going to, as an aside, I'm going to recommend that you not open up those jewel cases. <laughs> just uh, just continue to believe. <laughs> Message continues. Thank you for introducing me to a podcast that we are a little bit embarrassed to listen to. It gave us a good reason to rewatch TNG and DS9 like we did while we were dating. Thank you for all the memories and looking forward to making new ones. Hey, that's great. 10 years for Whitney and John. Congrats. I, I love it. That's, you know, how some anniversaries are paper, some are metal. The 10th anniversary is famously the DVD. Anniversary (laughs) And Whitney and
0: John are celebrating Hopefully one day it'll be the Blu-ray Anniversary
1: Also need to mention uh, this message was Meant for April and because of our Great big stack of Priority Ones This one is going to come out in June so we did this As soon as we could John and Whitney Uh, Hope it is no less special for you
0: Uh, We have another Priority One message here and it is from Tyler and it's for Ben And Adam what is Kevin Uxbridge's favorite British TV series. Dowd to Nabby*. All the best, Tyler.
1: I bet you love that, too. I bet that's I, your favorite fucking joke,
0: huh? I fucking do.
1: <laughs> Such a dork.
0: <laughs> it starts to get a little uneven in later seasons.
1: You know... I don't just like Downton Abbey. I I prefer all of the masterpiece programs on PBS. <laughs> and if you're not giving to your local public television station, uh, that's something that you can do even outside of pledge time.
0: And if uh, if you've uh, watched all of the all of the British drama that they've made available to you, check out the Food Flirts. They're two totally <laughs> charming older ladies from Boston that like to cook different food and uh, experience the, uh, the differences between cultures and celebrate them. I know we're in a weird
1: timeline because food flirts should not exist as a program. <laughs> it, is, it is insane as a show. I there's, love it.
0: As, as far as I know, there's only one season of that. <laughs> and like if, if a second season ever appears in my PBS app, my head will fly off my neck. renew food flirts it is so fucking great
1: it is so joyfully funny yeah like and the thing is you are laughing at them but it's not a cruel kind of laugh at them like they they are very self aware in in what they're doing yeah they're just like
0: we're really silly ladies and we're gonna be silly silly ladies yeah and, Yeah. uh, and, and be in this TV show that somehow happened to us all
1: right, well, if you have a, a message, you know what, if you have a preference about which PBS shows you enjoy and would like to share that with our greater viewership, uh, you can make that known by going to maximumfundorg Jumbotron, where uh, PBS recommendations are $100 and maybe, uh, maybe PBS commercials are $200, both of which are a great way to support the ongoing production of The Greatest Generation.
0: Hey, Adam. That been? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible, drunk, drunk Shimoda!
1: Two, actually. Uh, they are the Nausikans throwing darts at each other in the in the background <laughs> of one of the the Quark spar scenes. Just like we know so little about the Nausikans, except for the the one TNG episode, the Nausikan who stabbed Picard through the heart, one yeah. of the great TNG episodes. But like. You learn so much about them in, in what they do in their free time. <laughs> it's it's domchat and games of pain. And uh, these two Nausicaans throwing darts at each other uh, make them my Shimoda.
0: What about you? Before I get to my Shimoda for this episode, I have something fairly unprecedented, but I have to do it. Wow. Okay. In watching this episode, we discover that pack leads are are scabs. They are willing to cross a picket line to fucking patronize a bar. Pretty fucked up. And my last, uh, the pack lead, uh, a pack lead was my Shimoda in the last episode. Whoa, that's right. I am going to strip that pack lead of drunk Shimoda status as a result of my disapproval of the pack lead Scab ethos.
1: More like scab-led.
0: Yeah. Fuck pack-leds. Fuck crossing picket lines. Wow. I'm going to give my Shimoda in the last episode, and I apologize to Colin Dinsmore and the uh, fine folks that run <laughs> the Greatest Gen Wikia. <laughs> that's
1: something they can just strike through, man. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's within their power.
0: Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retroactively give my drunk Shimoda to Kern in the last episode for how silly he looked in that weird Cardassian bed. Triangle thing. Okay. Uh, and then for this episode, got to give it to Quark for the O face he makes when the strike starts.
1: Yeah, that's a crazy face. One of the great faces in the whole series, I think.
0: I laughed so hard when he did that.
1: Yeah, I rewound it a couple of times. So great good. moment.
0: I wore yeah. out the uh, the head on the VHS tape, <laughs> rewinding that little bit. got that, get that, Go press that. Get
1: A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose.
0: Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly, incredibly fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app and at MaximumFun.org.
1: Well, Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode?
0: The next episode is Season 4, Episode 16, Accession. A legendary Bajoran appears mysteriously after more than 200 years and challenges Sisko's claim to be the emissary.
1: All right. I I mean, it feels like emissary status is a thing that Sisko would uh, would just assume grant to someone else. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe this isn't as much of a conflict as we think. Yeah. All right, Ben. Let's see if we're gonna watch this in any particular way by going to the Game of Buttholes, the Will of the Prophets game at uh, gach.biz/game. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Got the die in my hand, and uh, just ahead, one square away, a Quarks Bar episode. A couple of squares beyond that would be a space butthole that would take us down to the second square where we would have landed on a His Eyes Uncovered. That is uh, an episode where each of the hosts must employ 10 Temerian-style metaphors during the episode. So let's see what we get here, Ben. Oh, and I have landed on a four. <laughs> so we have, we have hit the space butthole. We have slid down. Wow! One of the one of the shoots down to square number two. God damn!
0: Yeah. This is our first space butthole, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and so there it is. Uh, his eyes uncovered for the next episode. Both of us doing pre-writes.
0: Wow! Uh, Fun for
1: Tamarian style jokes. So yeah. that'll be great.
0: There are a lot of people in our audience that hate it when we write jokes for this show.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is one for those people to skip.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, you and me both. Well, one thing we never skip
1: is how much gratitude we have uh, for our
0: viewers. The uh, most amount of gratitude. The greatest gratitude, you might say. <laughs> uh, the, especially the folks that head to maximumfund.org slash donate, where you can set up a monthly contribution that uh, supports the production of this program and, uh, and pays us for our work. Uh, We really, really appreciate all of the fine folks that do that. It is a life changer for us.
1: Which camera's my camera? This camera? Yeah, that's the one. Viewer, I know you hear the difference. This show is better sounding than any other Star Trek show in existence. Whoa, shots fired. (laughs) It sounds great. The production, look, I'm not saying that we're better than, I'm saying that no one else is better than, you know? We're,
0: we, yeah, we try to do it at a level. We try to take the production super seriously.
1: And uh, and it's quality that you pay for. So thank you for supporting the show.
0: Uh, you can also support the show uh, in a non-financial way if that's where you are at in your finances by uh, recommending it to a friend, colleague, or loved one. Or by, uh, you know, using the recommendation or rating and review engine in your podcatcher of choice. Uh, that always uh, is a big help. And also, uh, you know, tweet about what you like about the show on, uh, on Twitter or, uh, you know, post on uh, other social media, Facebook, whatever you like. Uh, use the hashtag GreatestGen. Adam's on Twitter at CutForTime. I'm at BenjaminAHR. Also on Twitter, uh, using that hashtag, you can find the great art of our buddy Bill Tilly, who makes trading cards of every episode. Always really, really funny and funny to and fun to look at. Uh, he always picks amazing stills to illustrate his jokes, uh, and also uh, the art of JJ Lendell, who makes a movie poster for every episode of Deep Space Nine and post it the Sunday before we post our episode.
1: Uh, the great music on the show is made by Adam Ragusia, who has chopped and screwed the music of Dark Materia in many cases. Uh, you can find Adam Ragusia's YouTube page at YouTube, where he will teach you how to be a better cook. And I recommend you watch his videos and leave a nice comment
0: there. That would be great of you.
1: Is that it? that's it I think that's it Adam and with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine which may be having some complicated feelings W slash R slash T being the emissary